This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Shadyside Mall, where our promise to you is no more murders. That's over now. We swear. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's another witchy woman week on Pod Cemetery. Two in a row! <laughs> with 1960's Black Sunday and 2021's Fear Street Part 3, 1666. Getting right into our first movie, Black Sunday from 1960, also known as La Mascara del Demonio, or The Mask of the Demon, or The Mask of the Devil, I think is what it was called when we watched it. Yes. Not to be confused with Boris Karloff's Black Sabbath, which came out in 1963. Uh, this movie, Black Sunday, was directed by Mario Bava, written by Ennio de Conte. Chini and Mario Sarandre. I'm really sorry. All these Italian names are really going to mess me up. Uh, starring Barbara Steele, John Richardson, and Andrea Cecchi. Cecchi? Cecchi. Two C's and an H? Is that a K sound? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not Italian. I'm really sorry, all you Italians out there. It's supposedly based on a tale by Nicolai Gogol, uh, who did a short story called V. Uh, but they basically took that as a basis and then chopped and screwed it so much that it, it virtually isn't the story at all. They It went through so many iterations that it's not V anymore, but it's still, you know, from a tale by Nicolay Gogol. <laughs> I, I hear Gogol and I think Gogol Bordello. This is Mario Bava's quote-unquote directorial debut. Uh, he had done a lot of uncredited work before this, but this is the first movie that he actually had control over. Some people consider him to be very influential in modern horror. With movies such as uh, Planet of the Vampires and Bay of Blood. Movies I've never seen. Movies that are precursors to classic horror movies, things like Aliens and Friday the 13th. Never seen them. Sorry, don't have a lot of knowledge about it. Yeah, no. And it's going to be a real bummer because I don't have a lot of like, this feels like one of those sort of um, criterion type moments where it's like, <laughs> oh man, we need to know everything about this obscure low budget film. <laughs> but I don't. There actually isn't a whole lot of information floating out there about this. I imagine because it's, it wasn't well documented at the time. I know it exists, but it's not, like, commonly discussed or anything like that. The movie was also messed with a bunch. Scenes were moved around and stuff as it was released in different regions. So, like, could it really be that meticulously put together if you could just take a scene and move it somewhere else and everyone's fine with it? Yeah. They were they were rewriting the movie. Uh, Barbara Steele, the main actress, she didn't memorize a script because she didn't know what her script was going to be until the day of filming. So she'd just get a new copy of the script and do that. 
so much so that there are entire plot points that are completely abandoned uh, in in the movie. But but heaven forbid you say anything bad about this movie because it's a classic and it's Mario Bava and like uh, anyway. What is Black Sunday about? Well, the reason we picked it to go with Fear Street 3 is because it's practically the same idea. A witch is killed for her monstrous love. It's, uh-huh. not really, it's not really explained what she even did. But, you know, back then. There you- was like a dude who was a Satanist and she was in love with him. Yeah. But that somehow made her worse. I don't know. I They'd already killed him at the point that we saw them. Yeah, but he just gets a normal ass burial. Yeah. But she's a witch. Yeah. So how dare she? <laughs> right? Yeah. That's Anyway. But so she sets a curse on the family line and says... She'll be back. I'll be back. I'm going to follow you through your family line, just like in uh-huh. Fear Street 3. And then she does, and she's able to come back because this guy's a moron, oh my basically. God. Yeah. She gets her revenge, kind the- of. <laughs> The movie is available with subscriptions to AMC Plus, Canopy, Shudder, Spectrum on Demand. We watched it on Shudder. But you if you don't have a subscription, you can watch it with ads on Tubi. You can rent it for $2 on Alamo on Demand or $3 on Amazon. You can buy it for $6 on Alamo or $15 on Amazon. Should people watch Black Sunday? Apparently this movie is loved. Like you said, but I would say no. I was bored. I would, I, th- I will tell you no. I thought this movie was dull. The best parts are whenever Barbara Steele is the witch herself. Yeah. That's the best part of the movie. I would say that some of the cinematography, and apparently Mario Bava gets credit for cinematography, but the, the camera operator was like, I would set everything up. I would do the lighting, and then he would maybe change a thing or two here or there. But for the most part, he was just like, yeah, let's do that. So, but Mario Bava gets credit for that. Uh, the cinematography is a lot of fun, and I watch it, and my eyeballs are fascinated. It looks great in many ways. But it is, as you say, boring as all hell. It's terribly boring. It's a jumbled mess of a plot. Uh, There's practically nothing here to really, you know, sink your teeth into other than the visuals, which are really good for the time, okay for today. Kind of hurts to say this, but yeah, you don't need to watch it. There are plenty of things that are influential that we don't use anymore, like the Fucking gravity toilets, you know, the ones where you pull the chain and it's uh, that really influenced what we have in our toilets today, but nobody fucking uses them. (laughs) This may have been greatly influential to the horror genre, but that doesn't mean it's something that's worth watching today. You know, it's it's boring. Yeah, really boring. Yeah, there are long conversations that you don't need whatsoever. And it's Mm. just like. Yay, I'm watching these two dudes have a 10 minute conversation. Like, really, we could break down the important plot elements in 10 sentences, but the movie goes on for an hour and a half. And whenever Barbara Steele is just the regular lady, she looks bored out of her fucking <laughs> mind. I wrote down there's a part where she's like in front of a, a fountain. And all I wrote down was, Barbara Steele is not impressed with this fountain. Because she just looks like, why am I here? 
I don't know. God, when she, this is stupid. <laughs> when she first shows up as the princess, she's pretty badass. As the witch. No, no. As the princess. When she first shows up as the princess. We'll talk about it when we get there. She's pretty badass. And it's another case where like, oh, there are all these reports about how everyone was really awful to her. And then she admits later on in her life that, no, I was probably really hard to work with. But is that just a concession to explain away how everyone was really terrible to you? Horror movies, stop fucking mistreating your actresses, for God's sake. What the fuck? Why is it that I can't get through a fucking episode of the show without practically having to apologize for the filmmakers for the way they treated their actresses? It's really infuriating. There cannot are a lot believe of they shots. got away with that for so fucking long. There are a lot of shots that made me think of Return to Horror High in the way that it was just like, boobs! Yeah, uh-huh. You know, it felt like, what's his name from The Godfather was there, pushing <laughs> boobs into the screen. Uh-huh. That's what it felt like. It was just like, let's tear off her chest. Let's tear off her tear shirt. Off her chest. <laughs> Whatever, you know, like, boobs! Yeah. It was... Very in your face. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you can take our advice or leave it such that it is. When we get back, we will talk about 1960s Black Sunday. Horror. Anguish. And terror are powerful words. But more than words, the chill language of living images shows that the mask of Satan is a picture of unparalleled emotion. It tells a tale of a strange, dark fascination set in a spine-chilling atmosphere of fear. Suspense and the unexpected combine to create an impression beyond any imagination of an indescribable fantasy coupled with an unmentionable reality. Sometimes Satan, with his capacity for doing evil, even plays tricks with the dead. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Black Sunday begin? With a brother condemning his sister. I, the second-born son of Prince Vida, as Grand Inquisitor, do condemn you. And as your brother, I repudiate you. It's kind of fucked up. For, again, for her monstrous love of a Satanist, I guess. I guess. We don't really find out what the dude's thing is. He just, he, when she comes back to life, she brings him back to life, too. I don't fucking know. <laughs> But they nail a mask into her face. Holy Hardcore. Holy shit. Hardcore. It is intense. Like, right away, I, I said, Jesus, that's intense. You don't actually see any gore, but the implied violence is really fucking heavy, man. I also love how they just stop and wait for her to monologue for a while. Oh, yeah. Her, and whenever she is the witch, she has this- She goes on and on. She has this madness in her eyes Uh and just this diabolical sound to her voice. Mm. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, she's a witch. But, like, this performance in comparison to her performance as the chick later is- 
night and day. Well, and well, it's interesting you say that, which we will get to in a little bit. This is probably the goriest the movie will get. And people talk about how, oh my God, at the time people were shocked with how violent it was. And no, this is it. This is it. There's practically, you get a little bit of like, oh, is that an eye thing later on? But there's like nothing as far as violence is concerned. You see nothing. Hardly anything is ever implied. But that is really fucking intense. And then when she comes back, she has all these holes in her face. And I have to say. And they have to like pry the mask off of her. It's creepy. Yeah. That's, I, that's, that's a little good. bit of like, it makes that moment in retrospect more violent. To, to see how they have to yank that mask off of her face and then the holes are left behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she, of course, says, I, I curse you. I shall be immortal through your line. It's I who repudiate you. And in the name of Satan, I place a curse upon you. Go ahead. Tie me down to the stake. But you will never escape my hunger nor that of Satan. Chained elements of the powers of darkness are lying in ambush. Beware, Griabi. My revenge will strike down you in your accursed house, and in the blood of your sons and the sons of their sons, I will continue to live immortal. But it takes 300 years for yep. her to come back or something. It takes some idiot who's completely unrelated to basically do everything wrong. Tear off the mask, smash the crucifix, <laughs> shoot a bat. <laughs> oh my god, the bat. Uh, but first of all, during this scene, there's rain, and the rain is oh, coming yeah, in from all these rain. different angles, and it's just mm. like, oh god. You can tell that they have like a watering can just out of frame. <laughs> yeah. It's not very good. I do love the narrator's voice. I couldn't figure out who it was. I oh, wanted yeah, to know the narrator was great. The narrator was really good, and I wanted to figure out who it was because I was like, I think he's narrated things, other things, but uh-huh. couldn't find who it was. But before putting them to death, human justice anticipated divine judgment by burning into the flesh of those damned ones the brand of Satan. It reminded me... And this might be just because we had just watched that show, but it reminded me a little bit of the voice from The Haunted Mansion. A little bit, yeah. It's very good. But yeah, so cut to the present day, and this coachman is very afraid to go. He He's way overacting. He's really afraid to yeah. go through this area where the witch is known to be. Her body is buried in this decrepit chapel. It's not even buried, it's interred. She's Entombed. just She's just left in this stone sarcophagus thing with the glass window. Seems like a mistake. Right. <laughs> just shove her body in the ground. <laughs> the coachman is going so fast because he's so scared that the wheel pops out, which causes them to have to stop, which causes the two men inside to go and investigate the creepy sound that they can hear, which is a cool sound. And it's cool the way that they describe, uh, I mean, what it ends up being is that it's a... Organs, uh, organ pipes. Yeah. With the wind uh-huh. brushing through it. I thought that was cool. It was really cool. There, you see? It's just the wind and the pipes of this broken down organ. This is Dr. Kruvayan and Andre Gorobek. Well, Dr. Kruvayan has to fight this enormous bat. This bat is huge. I fucking loved this bat. It's so ridiculous looking. Like, he 
has he shoots it, then he beats it, <laughs> then he has to break the glass with it to get it to die. Yeah, any basically everything that that was set up to keep this witch asleep. Because they talk about how, you know, oh, she they put up this crucifix and a window in her sarcophagus so she could always see the cross and would never be able to rise. And in the process of fighting this one fucking bat, Kruvayan just demolishes all of that. Yes. And once he's broken open the glass, well, at this point, why wouldn't you take the mask off yeah. the woman's face? Oh, I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> and they also take this icon which I guess is art of the witch's torture. I don't know what it's actually of. I didn't get a good look at it. And it's unclear why that would be important at all. Like, they keep going back to it. Oh, no, you got the icon. Oh, we we kept it. Oh, oh, that's weird. I just, it was in my pocket. But why it's important, no fucking clue. But when they take it off, there's, like, all this, all these, like, scorpions and bugs yeah, crawling all over uh-huh. her face. It's very gross. And then they leave. They they run into the princess outside. Yes, but they also wear capes. And I'm just like, why don't we wear capes? uh Capes are so awesome. Katya Vajda. Katya. It's a great name. Also, Barbara Steele shows up with her fucking dogs in the cemetery. This is apparently Richard Donner's inspiration for the graveyard scene in The Omen. But she looks so fucking badass. She shows up with her fucking dogs and the camera like pans up on her. It's like, what a great introduction. Unfortunately, she looks bored. Yeah. Whenever she is the princess, she just looks like, why am I here? (laughs) The younger guy falls in love with Katya. Of course he does. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Of course he does. But then we get this very cool scene of the eyes coming in to the witch. Yeah. And I thought that was... That was pretty neat. Pretty, for the time, Uh cool and creepy looking. Uh, It's like, I don't even know how they did it, but it's like this white jelly coming into Mm. her eyes. It's very creepy looking. It was either like melted and then they ran it in reverse or, you know, uh, that's probably my best bet. She's gonna come to life and I don't know if the first zombie we see is the dude she was in love with or if it's just a zombie. No, that's, that's the dude she's in love with. Well, when he comes up for the first time, his hands are really creepy looking and they creep out of his entombment. And that's kind of cool. Well, this is, I I wrote down, the line is, rise, Yavutich, which is her lover. And then, like, his hand comes out of a grave. I'm like, why was he just buried all normal ass? And she was, <laughs> like, that didn't make any sense. Her whole... The whole reason they killed her was because she was in love with this guy. That's how bad this guy is. But he's just thrown She's in a pit. She's the princess, and they had expectations of I her. I guess. I guess. Uh, you also miss that we meet Sonia, the innkeeper's daughter, who's, who's afraid important. to go and milk the cow. Yeah, but what does she have to do with basically anything in the actual plot? Like, they just introduce characters and plot lines that never pay off, have no importance to the story whatsoever. Well, because she sees the zombie, and then she tells them about it the next day. That's yeah. why she's important. Oh, uh, But what happens when she tells them about it the next day? She's completely and utterly dismissed. <laughs> oh, this raving child, get her out of here. <laughs> and then we fucking don't do anything about it. Anyway. There's a reason I skipped it. (laughs) Uh Uh, We also meet Katya's brother, Constantine. 
and is that father. who he was? Yes. All of a sudden, they just kept saying the name Constantine, and I was like, and there's this other Constantine. Dude. It should be Constantine. Yeah. Well, anyway, Constantine and their father, Prince Vajda, who is actually the ancestor of all these people that did the shit way back when, of the witches, witches in quotes, uh, brother who killed her. So these are all characters that we meet. All right, cool. But yes, then Yavutich rises from the grave. He attacks the prince or does he attack Kruvayan? I can't remember which. I don't know. My next thing is about Kruvayan. Look into my eyes, which I'm just like, dude, they stole that. Indiana Jones fucking stole that oh, line. Yeah, uh-huh. Look into my eyes, because she says it several times, <laughs> and it's great every time she says it. Look into my eyes. Look into my eyes. Look into my eyes. As the witch, she is fantastic. Like, I love her chaotic energy that she brings to it, especially since, like I said, she has zero energy when she's the princess. Yeah. Kiss me. All I need is your blood and I will be alive again and you will live inside of me. Such a good performance. Yes, she says that she needs Kruvayan's blood. I guess she's going to take Kruvayan's blood because one of the other things that happened when he broke the class and and everything is he bled on her. And Which, that's what allowed her to regenerate. Again, another another really good connection with this in Fear Street 3. But here's a question. Is she a vampire? Is she a witch? Are they zombies? What is it? The movie doesn't fucking know. I don't think it needs to know. I, I, I don't have a problem with a movie blending all of this lore together because sure. if yeah, this stuff fine. was real, I don't imagine that it would follow all the rules we believe in. Sure, but it's just, it. apparently they had fake teeth that they made, but they didn't end up using because it looked too silly. But I, the filmmakers literally didn't know if they were making a movie about a vampire, about a zombie, or about a witch. They did not know, and they would f- flip-flop back and forth throughout. That scene that I told you about where Katya dismisses Sonia, and it's like, damn, Katya, why are you being so mean to this little girl? Enough of this child's fantasies about a portrait of someone who's been lying dead for centuries, or else we'll all go mad. Is because apparently, when they were filming up at that point, the witch had taken over Katya's body by that point. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but then they just fucking discarded that, but still used that scene. They didn't know what they were doing. They stumbled into greatness. This is why it's it's so frustrating when people elevate things like this. It's like, oh, it's the precursor to everything. Yeah, by fucking accident, they tripped and their dicks fell into something that's pretty cool. Like, that's what, uh, anyway, sorry if that's uh, offending anybody. So the next day they find a body of somebody. Oh, the coachman. They had to kill the coachman so that they could take Kruvayon. Okay, so they find the co- the coachman in the water, and I wrote down, oh my god, it's a body, because they're just walking around, and it's like, whoa! They just find a body, <laughs> and it's unclear exactly who he is, and why is it important that he, like, rises from the grave again? Because he never comes back. Does he? The coachman? Yeah. No. But his body disappears. Does it? I think so at some point. Ah. And it's like, it's all these little threads that are just spinning off into fucking nothing. This movie could have been 30 minutes long. 
this might be the part that you're talking about where she's supposed to be the witch. Because there's one part where she's the princess. I think it might be that scene because I think it's the little girl that is trying to explain what she saw. Yes. And that it's the witch's back. And she goes, we're talking about someone who's been dead for centuries. We'll all go mad. And then she like <laughs> covers her face with her hands. And it's it's really funny. It's because it, it sticks out because as the princess, she doesn't normally react this mm-hmm. way. So it was kind of funny. Uh, Vajda, the Prince Vajda, her dad, uh, is saved from... Yavutich, because he has a cross, this is going to become really important. Again, is are they vampires? He's a zombie, rises from the grave, harmed by looking at a cross. Yes. So he's like a zombie vampire. But yes. because, like, the servant, Vajda's servant is like, you know you should probably keep a cross around. And he does. And then so when Yavutich shows up, Vajda's like, oh, look at my cross. And Yavutich is like, no. And he runs away, and he ends up kidnapping... Well, he's a Satanist, so I yeah, guess that makes sense. Maybe. Uh, he ends up kidnapping Kruvayan instead. And so, yes, Kruvayan is the one that she actually takes. And in order to get strong again, she takes his blood. Now, what is the difference between Aja before Kruvayan's blood and after Kruvayan's blood? If you can't think of what changes for her, that's because nothing fucking changes for her. Does her she, face not change? It uh, Maybe, but she's just sitting, she's paralyzed on this slab and fucking stays there. Oh, I thought she could walk after that. No, she doesn't start to walk until they bring her Katya. Mm. So like, okay, what did his blood do for her then? Like nothing. Again, well, he also another is, He's also thing. now a servant of that's, hers. That's all that mattered is that, yes, now he is a servant of hers. And he's going to do this thing where when they summon for a doctor because Vajda faints, Vajda faints because he just saw a fucking zombie. Uh, and he's the one who ends up going and leaving Gorobek behind, Andrea. He tries to fake healing Vajda, but every time they're like, oh, he has this cross. He's like, <laughs> and like turns away. Oh, oh, God. And they're like, what's wrong with this cross, doctor? Huh? And he's like, uh, that might remind him of what happened last night. So please get that out of here. I don't remember that part. When we came in, he was lying here trembling with his arm outstretched, holding this cross as though we were trying to keep back some horrible apparition. Anyway, you mustn't see it. It might provoke another attack. <laughs> like how they're not, huh? You got a problem with this cross? And he just keeps on going, ah, ah, ah. And they don't put two and two together. And he comes up with, oh, yeah, no, see, he's in shock. And you shouldn't show him anything that might remind him of what put him in shock. Like, okay, that's a little clever. But everyone's an imbecile. It's funny. Around Kruvayan. I wasn't paying attention at this point, I don't think. I, I think I was just so bored. I mean, literally, the only thing that could get me to pay attention was when she was the witch. Yeah. Oh, oh. Or the part where she starts to freak the fuck out as the princess. Okay, so at some point, I guess everyone's left her. And she's running around. She's just like, where is everyone? Where have you gone? And then she has to scream a couple times. And her screams are hilarious. Just like, ah! Ah! (laughs) Like, it's so funny when she is flipping out looking for everybody. Ivan? Constantine? Where have you gone? Ah! 
They do manage to ultimately kidnap her, though. There's a, another cool moment. I don't think this is the first movie to do this. But they it's filmed in black and white. But they use different colored lights and different colored makeup to do this effect. And other movies have done this, too. So I don't think this is the first one to have done it. As a matter of fact, it might have been like way back in the 20s and stuff like that that this effect was first done. Where they change the lights on the set. And so the makeup appears and disappears. Oh, when she goes from young to old and old to young? Yes. Oh, it's so good. Because the witch touches her and, like, absorbs her youth. I could not figure out how they did that without a cut. Yeah. Nuts. No, it was just the lighting. Just the lighting. Yeah, just the lighting and the color of makeup. So, That's so interesting. For instance, let's say I put blue makeup on uh-huh. and you shine red light on me or whatever, just normal ass light. You'll be able to see the blue makeup. But if I shine blue light on me, it'll cause my skin and the makeup to like merge into the same color. And so you can't see the makeup anymore. That's, that's so all that's interesting. happening. And since it's filmed in black and white, you don't notice. It looks great. Uh-huh. It looks really, really good. I mean it's obvious that it's makeup. Well of course it's obvious. But the that way it's that makeup. it that it transitions like that without without a cut. Without a fade, without a cut. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It's it, really I, cool. I was I wrote it down. I was like, this is impressive. Yeah. What they're doing here. <laughs> Also, after she's flipping out, she runs to her dead father and she's just like, father, don't leave me with all of these horrors. And then he comes to life and she flips the fuck out. It's so great because uh-huh. it's like he gives her exactly what she wants and then she freaks out. <laughs> but it, he says, I'm no longer your father, which I thought was so weird. Like he's supposedly under the influence of the witch, but he still has enough consciousness left to be like, I'm not your father. Don't trust me. <laughs> father, father. I am no longer your father. My blood is no longer your blood. The spirits of evil have rendered that tie between us forever. And it occurs poison flows in your veins. <gasps> oh. Sonia identifies the person who picked up Kruvayan by the painting in the castle, and we see that it's Yavutich. And that's how we know that there might be something wrong with Kruvayan. They throw a curtain over it, and then later that curtain catches on fire. Yes, I, I wrote down, the curtain caught on fire! Lol. And then the butler like has to hit the fire yes, out, yes, and in the he process does. he destroys the painting. Yes! And they find a secret passage yeah. to the, the chapel area. Mm-hmm. So Gorobek, now like, where's Kruvayan? And ever, something's wrong, ends up contacting a fucking priest. This random priest with a bad wig and fake beard on. <laughs> you know, he, he reminded me of, he reminded me of, um, was it Gene Hackman? Did he have that whole thing in Young Frankenstein when he played the blind man? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what he looked like. This priest. This priest is just the one who's going to tell him all the things he needs to hear. I uh, remember the priest. You know, uh, the cross, stake through the eye. Oh, yeah, I did write that down. I was like, stake through the left eye. Uh-huh. Yeah. Constantine, I was going to say Constantine, mm-hmm. saves Gorobek at one point and kills Yavatich, but dies himself. Gorobek finds the two women who have now switched ages and thinks that... Aja is Katya and Katya is Aja. You skipped an incredible scene. Oh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Where, as the witch, 
she's yelling at this at the princess who's like passed out. So like the princess doesn't even know what she's yeah, saying, uh-huh. but she goes on this long monologue of just like his love could have saved you, but I was stronger. I am now going to kill you, even though he loves you. Like, uh-huh. I just love, like, how Super maniacal she is. And, yeah. and the woman doesn't even hear any of it. Like, yeah. it's so... I love it's when she's the herself. witch. It's yeah. just for herself. You did not know that you were born for this moment. You didn't know that your life had been consecrated to me by Satan. But you sensed it, didn't you? You sensed it, didn't you? That's why my portrait was a constant temptation to you. Why it frightened you. You felt that your life and your body were mine. You felt like me because you were destined to become me. A useless body without life. The love that young man had for you could have saved you. Do you know that? You might have been happy together, but I was stronger. And now you shall enjoy a beautiful life of evil and hate in me. I think whenever she was the witch, she felt like she could have fun on screen. And it's sad that, like, we didn't see any of that as the princess. Mm-hmm. Kruvayan is killed with a stake to the eye. And Aja convinces Gorobek, our hero, to kill Katya, the young princess, who's now knocked out and looks old. And when he goes to do it, he's like, oh, man, this is going to suck, but I got to do it. For my love, this lady I just met, uh, notices she's wearing her crucifix. Thank goodness. And the priest was like, no, the crucifix, they can't look at it, they can't touch it. Yeah, earlier they saw that it would burn their skin. Yeah, he put put a crucifix on Kruvayan's forehead and it melted his skin, right? So he's like, what the hell is going on here? And then he realizes, oh my God, what's going on? And then I, I don't know why his mind goes to this. But in order to prove that the witch is the witch, he rips open her robe. I don't know if it's because that's where the crucifix was on Katya, but rips open her robe and all that's under there is just her skeleton. Oh, my God. Yes, <laughs> that was a creepy moment, too. Was I was like, cool what the too. fuck? Yeah, She's uh-huh. walking around on a skeleton? What? Yeah, but her face is just fine. Why wasn't that healed? Yeah, it's it's very. <laughs> but it's shocking it when is, it happens. It's shocking when it, it happens. Is. You also haven't mentioned all the fucking holes in this house. People are constantly be pu- being pushed down holes to just yeah. who knows where. This is what I'm talking. ever Constantine, they all go down holes. Yeah, they just get pushed down <laughs> holes in this house. And then for no fucking reason, a mob of people show up. Yes. And they finally burn Aja. Well, before that. Before they burn the, the the witch, the witch, for a moment she thinks she's won, and she's trying to like spellbind the guy. Yeah. After he realizes that she's the witch, and she's just like, "My vengeance is complete. Look into my eyes. Lose yourself. Don't you feel the joy and beauty of hating?" <laughs> and it's so good. I just I love every time she gets so excited on screen. But that's when they burn her. So yeah, they it, show up and they know. finish the job because apparently they didn't. They tried to burn her before. But then it started raining, and they're just like, "Why they didn't burn her?" Yes, and they're just like, "Well, I guess we'll just uh, throw her in this thing here for hundreds and hundreds of years, and now I guess we'll finish the job." And they actually burn her. The rain doesn't come, and she dies. And she becomes old again. Katya wakes up and is young. Yeah, and then 
her and Gorobek get to live happily ever after. And that is Black Sunday. Kelsey, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Sure, it's very high. 90. 86. Mario Bava's official narrative debut is a witchy nightmare steeped in gothic splendor, shot in chiaroscuro, black and white, and punctuated with startling gore. Not, I mean, punctuated if... There's the moment in the beginning. Uh Uh-huh. And there's the moment when she's walking around on a skeleton. Yeah. Shocking. Like I said, the white jelly coming into her eyes is creepy. Her face alone with the marks, even though they don't look real, are still creepy looking. Mm -hmm. So I get, like, there are moments that are really good. Has a Metacritic, though, of 57. There you go. So whenever I see a big discrepancy between a Rotten Tomatoes and a Metacritic, because for those of you that don't know, I'm going to explain it again. Rotten Tomatoes is just the percentage of reviewers that liked it, that thought it was fresh, versus the percentage of reviewers that thought it was rotten. It's not how much they liked it. So an 86% means 86% of reviews are positive. Right. But a Metacritic is an average rating of 57. So that tells me that everyone says they like the movie, but they don't like it very much. And I guess, sure, fine, I'll accept that. Because it's not very good. I don't care how influential it is. It is boring as hell. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what they were doing when they were making the movie. They were using tricks that had been used before and making shit up on the spot, which meant the plot is a jumbled mess. Plot threads are introduced and then never gone back to. Things are completely forgotten. People behave out of character because it turns out they weren't even supposed to be that character in that scene. But then we scrap the explanation for that. But we're going to leave that scene in. We're going to move scenes completely around for different releases in different regions. And nobody's going to fucking notice because it's a mess. It is a mess. Right. A boring mess with some punctuated moments of inspiration. Mm-hmm. That's what I will call this. Mm-hmm. What do you think it should have, Kelsey? I'm going to give it a 61. I think I'll probably go one higher than that, 62. But yeah, low, low 60s. I could even be persuaded to be high 50s. I I love her as the witch. So that was that's a big part of it for me. Whenever she's the witch, there's this chaotic joy, and uh-huh. I really like that. And they're, they're, like, everything about the witch is good. Like, her creepiness is good. The 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 shots of the, the face and the eyes are good. And the very beginning, when they're going to fucking nail her face in, it's good. Like, mm-hmm. everything about the witch was really well done, and the rest of the movie just boring as shit. You know how we've mentioned in the past that there are some movies that are good to just, like, turn on at a party with no audio or whatever and just have playing? For the visuals? Yeah. This might be one of those because it is striking visually. The cinematography, like I mentioned before, is is actually really impressive. They mention it here, the chiaroscuro. That high contrast between the light and the darkness is beautiful. But the content of the movie itself, the plot, all that, not so great. I wouldn't mind having this just playing on in the background, and then everyone looks over every once in a while and sees, oh my god, (laughs) her chest is a skeleton. (laughs) 
you know, something like that. Moving on to our modern movie, wrapping up the Fear Street trilogy is Fear Street Part 3, 1666 from 2021. Directed, as always, by Lee Janiak, written by Phil Grazad Graziade, Lee Janiak, and Kate Treffrey, starring Kiana Madeira, Ashley Zuckerman, Gillian Jacobs, Olivia Scott Welch, and Daryl Britt Gibson. What is Fear Street Part 3 about? We finally get to hear the real story of what happened in 1666 with the witch... And then we get to see what ends up happening in 1994. So we get closure, I guess. Yes. Yeah. The movie is available via Netflix like all the rest, and that's it. Should people watch Fear Street Part 3? I'm going to say yes. I actually liked it a lot more than I remembered liking it the first time. Holy shit! So did I! (laughs) I was going to say the same thing, and I thought I was going to be the odd man out. I did like it a lot better the second time around. Mm-hmm. I think before, when we were originally talking about the trilogy, before we covered it on the show and as we were covering it, we're like, nah, the third one's kind of the worst of the bunch. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think it it's a lot better than I remember it being Now I think time. the first one might be the worst It one. might be. I think you might be right. <laughs> I, I think I still like the second one the best. Yes. But yeah, I think the I think this one might be number two now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you should watch it. If you've gotten this far, you should definitely finish the trilogy. Yes. I can't imagine any of you guys watched the first and second movies but haven't watched the third yet. <laughs> but just in case, if you're waiting for a recommendation, yeah, watch it. Of course. <laughs> you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2021's Fear Street Part 3, 1666. <laughs> We can end the curse. For Shady Side. What the hell? You see it now. Sarah! The devil has come to feast on our misdeeds. And his darkness grows within each of us. Sarah Fear, you know nothing good comes from those what's after sundown. Forever. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Fear Street Part 3 begin? Dina wakes up as Sarah Fear Mm -hmm. in 1666 after helping a pig give birth to several piglets. Let's be clear here. When we say Dina wakes up as Sarah Fear, she is seeing through the eyes of Sarah Fear, but she's not, like, controlling anything. This isn't Dina. It's the actress. So we know that Dina is seeing all of this stuff, and we have some kind of emotional connection to her. But this is the real story of what actually happened. It's not time travel. Yeah, and if it's confusing because they have the same actors, I agree. (laughs) I agree that that's a little confusing. But once you understand and accept that, I kind of liked having the other actors around. I suppose. But so her father wants her to marry Good. Solomon Good. So this is Nick's ancient ancestor, Nick and Will Good's ancient ancestor, who just lost his whole family. Yes, his wife and child died. 
and she's kind of taking care of him and being really kind to him and her dad's like you might want to marry this guy yeah exactly (laughs) but i mean at this point he's kind of like he's failing as a farmer yes and his brother is like come on get out of that village you know we gotta go will uh will (laughs) i say will good uh the actor is playing solomon's brother is also in the village so I don't know if they're like there together. Why isn't this guy helping out his brother? But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but he says, no, I know I can grow something here and I'm going to continue to try. But she doesn't want to marry him. No, she's not interested in that. And she's kind of clear about that. She makes jokes about how, you know, when she brings him a pig, one of the piglets is like, uh, apparently this is my dowry. Yeah. <laughs> this is madness, Sarah. It's too much. Can't accept it. Just think of it as my dowry. We're practically married, haven't you heard? Well, in that case, tell your father this isn't nearly worth it. And he seems like good-natured about it all. Yes. Seems like a cool dude. Well, because he wants to marry her. He does, but he seems like an alright stand-up guy. Yes. She's just going through a lot because his family died. Yes. She is, as she's walking through the town to see him, we get to see all of these characters. We get to meet- All the kids. Constance and Abigail, who are the two sisters from- From 74. 74. No, 78, 78. 78. But they are not their ancestors. No. And they have like this secret code for all of the teenagers who are going to go out and party They're that They're going to meet in the woods. And if you know anything about like the Crucible- you know, nothing good comes from a bunch of kids wanting to fuck around in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's going to lead to a lot of problems. A lot of accusations of witchcraft. Yeah. And they're even talking about doing drugs. Uh, the same girl who does drugs, who sells drugs in 1994. The yes. same actress is here. This is Lizzie, played by Julia Raywald, who was Kate in the last movie. Or in the first movie, I guess. They also see the boy from 1994, which I still didn't recognize because he looks so different. Just hairstyles, man. I guess. Hairstyles and outfits can do a lot to change you. And then there is, of course, the pastor's daughter. Hannah, who is Sam. Yes. Who is also in love with Sarah Fear. Yeah, this is Olivia Scott Welch. And what's interesting is that it seems like the pastor's daughter is well aware of it before Seraphir is. The attraction? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because Seraphir will later be like, what are you doing? Let's not do this. Let's uh-huh. go back to the group. And the pastor's daughter is the one that's going to push it. But then she, they they're also uh, flip those roles at one point where I think at one point Hannah's like, we should probably go back. And Sarah's like, no, let's continue this. So no, it's, it's later when they think they've been caught yeah, uh-huh. that Hannah's like, we cannot do this. Uh-huh. And that's when Sarah is like, uh, I wasn't alive before this happened. <laughs> so I don't want to go back. you me. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go back to that life. Uh-huh. Which, yes, I mean, it's pretty much the crucible with the girl talking about the married man. Uh-huh. You know? Except in this case, instead of a scandal of an affair, this is lesbians yes. who have to be witches, right? Yes, that's gotta be witchcraft. Gotta be witchcraft. Absolutely. 
We also get to see the guy who played Thomas. In fact, his name is Thomas. It's Mad Thomas. So he's Tommy in the last one. He's Mad Thomas in this one. And, and he's a dick in this one. He is, but he's so good. So apparently, <laughs> apparently, Lee Janiak really liked the actor, McCabe Sly, as Mad Thomas so much. Because we said in the last one, 78 was filmed last. They filmed the two bookends and then came back uh, with everybody from the other movies to film uh, 78. And they liked him so much as Mad Thomas that they're like, he needs more FaceTime in this movie. And so they pushed back the moment that he gets the bag on his face oh. to later on. And they spent as much time with Tommy as possible. because They made the, you really like him. Yeah, because when he becomes the Nightwing killer with the mask and everything like that, that's a different actor. That's oh. Lloyd Pitts plays that killer. So they had McCabe Sly as long as possible in 78. <laughs> He is a good actor. Yeah. But to get the drugs, which are apparently berries, which I've never heard of berries being drugs. Well, they're sure. just like fermented berries. They're basically getting drunk. Okay. But to get those, they need to go to the witch that lives outside of the town. Who in this case is played by Nurse Lane, Jordana Spiro. Ruby's mom. Yeah. She plays a widow who was kind of ostracized from the community because I don't know if it was her husband or a later lover or whatever was a indigenous person. When did they talk about that? That's where she learned all of this witchcraft stuff. When did they talk about that? They talk about that here at this moment. Oh, I heard she kept the company of the natives. Not she even fell in love with one. That's why she was exiled. She learned their medicine too. Solomon told me. I don't remember that. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's why it's like later on when they're going to ask who brought the devil into this town, wouldn't they immediately think of her first? Yeah, they never mention her. At least I don't think they do. They never do. And if they did, they would have found her dead. They would have found that she had been killed. Yeah. Uh-huh. But they never do. So that's a little bit of a, eh, what's up with that plot? Mm-hmm. But so they all go to this party in the woods, and this one guy really wants Hannah, the pastor's daughter, which I'm just like, not that you should be raping people, but if you're going to rape somebody, is it going to be the pastor's daughter? Right, uh-huh. Like, it seems like that would be the number one girl you wouldn't want to go mm -hmm. after, but that's just me. <laughs> Sarah, of course, intervenes and stops it from happening, which that interaction is going to lead to... That guy later accusing them both of Being witchcraft. the one to actually name them. Yes. The first time they ever get named as potential witches is because of this guy who had a boner in public. Also another thing, there are so many people that were there. There were a lot of people that were there and laughing at his wiener that nobody says anything. Like, the kids are standing up for themselves later on. When people are crying witchcraft, they're like, yeah, we went out to the woods and we had some fun. But none of these kids are like, um, he's a fucking liar. We all saw exactly what happened. Nobody calls him out on that. Because everyone suspects the two of them of being lesbians, which in their opinion is witchcraft. No, the kids. Yeah. The kids love her and love the two of them. They don't give a shit. They stand up for her. They're the ones who move her body in the end. Hmm. I don't know. It's another sort of like, mm, people aren't really behaving the way, they're really forcing the plot to go down this pathway. Well, 
Okay, but let's talk about the fact that did you just say that she supposedly learned this shit from Native Americans? But it's like Christian. Yeah, it's all Christian no, mythology. No, I think that's the Satan stuff. But I think all like living on her own out there, she knows all the drugs and berries and shit like that because of that. Okay, but where did she get all the Satanist stuff from? Unclear. Yeah. The Satanist stuff that, by the way, she doesn't use. And she doesn't believe in, and yeah, she's... But she has the book, uh-huh. and she just keeps it around, uh-huh. like you do. Yep. Uh, which ends up getting her killed, and the real devil worshiper takes the book from her. Because later, Dina's gonna be like, if they want a witch, I'll give them a witch. And, and she so goes she goes to, goes to, the to book, look for but the it's book, not yeah. there. Uh-huh. So, yeah, Hannah and Sarah end up hooking up in the woods, and... They feel like they're being watched. And they are. And I thought it was going to be fucking, what's his face? Well, we see that Thomas sees them. Is it? Do we see that it's Thomas? We see that Thomas sees them. I thought we just got a flashback later showing us that it was Thomas that was watching them. But there's somebody there and they run away. We know that there is a person out there. The first time they get scared, Mm -hmm. we don't see what they see. Then later, we see them like saying goodbye and kissing and Thomas sees that. Mad Thomas, we see, sees them making out later when they're back in the village. When they're saying goodbye. Yes, yeah. But out in the woods. There's somebody else, and we just see them run away, but we don't see who they are. And I thought that that was Caleb. That's the, impl- the impression that we're supposed to have. But it is Solomon. Yes. Solomon Good. And the very next day, they can't. she can't find her dog. Mm-hmm. And Hannah is upset because there's something wrong with her dad. Yep, he's gone off the deep end. And Hannah's mom suspects them. Uh Uh-huh. Doesn't want them together. And she's concerned that perhaps their sin caused her father to go crazy. Uh Uh-huh. Mad Thomas is spreading it all over town that they've been hooking up. And so when Dina gets home, or Sarah gets home, her father is like, this is all my fault. I raised you. Your mom wasn't around. Mm -hmm. I couldn't turn you into a female. Yeah. And now you're a boy. And Mm -hmm. that's all my fault. Sarah's freaking out, and she leaves and realizes that all the food in the town is going rotten. And that the pig that just gave birth to all these babies ate her babies. Fucking ate her babies. Their dog is dead in the well and has poisoned the water. Yep. Everything has gone to shit. And this is when Mad Thomas is like, whose sin brought the devil into this town? Uh And he kind of doesn't really explicitly call them out here, but he looks at Sarah. Mm -hmm. Like, I know it's probably you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, shit. <laughs> Even though earlier they mentioned that he gives STDs. Like, whenever a girl has an STD, it's because she uh-huh. had sex with Mad Thomas. <laughs> Remember when Abigail had her ring of fire? <laughs> she was scratching like a dog during Father's sermon. Mother told me she'd lain with a demon. The devil's gift. More like Mad Thomas's gift. Well- Sarah is feeling ostracized, so she goes to see Solomon, her friend. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, what if I did do this? What if I did cause the devil to come because I hooked up with Hannah? Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, you have to extend your hand to the devil. And it's like, from our perspective, this makes sense because we're rational thinkers. Uh But 
when you think about it from the perspective of 1666, it's like, why do you know so much about how to get the devil into right, the town? Right, yeah. Uh-huh. But I mean, it, it seems rational and reasonable, and he's reassuring her. And when she is like, but what if I don't? Like, he's like, oh, it's a dalliance. That's not enough to bring Satan and destroy the village. And she's like, what if it's not? What if this is who I am? And he's like, Sarah, I will support you no matter what. He's he's supposed to come off as just being a supportive, good guy. But really what's happening is I will overlook anything if it means I get to be with you. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. But he's playing it cool at this point. <laughs> but when she gets back to town, everybody's like, where are all the kids? Because they've been locked yeah, in the uh-huh. church with the pastor. And Solomon's like, oh, shit, we should look into this. And he goes inside and all the kids' eyes have been plucked out and it's a messed up, gnarly scene. Including Sadie Sink, Constance, Abigail's little sister, and Henry, Benjamin Flores Jr., who plays Josh, Dina's little brother, Sarah's little brother in this case. He's also dead. And yeah, the the pastor plucked all their eyes out and was talking about how now he can see and... They carry him away. Did they kill him right there? I forget what they do to him. I'm not entirely sure, but they immediately start to wonder who brought the devil here. And it's interesting because later he will be like, the guy who did it is dead. So I guess, yeah. I oh, guess yeah. No, no. Him. He goes to attack Sarah and Solomon and kills, kills him. him. Yeah. And he's just like, the guy is dead. Like... It's Let's done with. This, why are we still talking yeah, about this? Yeah, why are we still talking about this? He's That's, trying to be like, okay, we're done. The whole thing's done. Let's shut it down. Exactly. Everything's explained, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's just like, this is all speculation. You're chasing shadows. You have no proof of anything. But that is when Caleb will be like, I know who it is. I know it's those two chicks. Uh-huh. Which, if anyone was paying attention, the devil, the pastor went to kill Sarah. Right. Why would the devil try to kill the person that supposedly invoked them. Right. But no one ever, ever brings that up. Uh-huh. There's also this thing at one point where they, like, put red paint on the doors and they don't ever explain no, what it's for. No, he said he was charting something. He was going around. So the guy who plays the deputy in the 90s, who was the cop from 78, he's like the watchman or whatever. And he's giving testimony in this town hall meeting. He was, like, charting, like, the families that were affected or something like that. He has a line. I'll put it here. I chased it on my patrol. This scourge centers on Union proper. I searched the woods. It does not extend beyond the settlement. It's here. It's in Union. We are being punished. And I have a list of names. They do explain it. I just don't remember what it is. Okay. Once she decides, you know what? Fu- oh, because they end up taking Hannah. They end up taking Hannah, but Sarah gets away. And Sarah visits Hannah when she's in chains. And she's just like, fine, if they want a witch, I'll give them a witch. Which is when she discovers that the widow is dead and the book is missing. So she goes to see Solomon and she's like, please believe me. And he's like, I do. Mm-hmm. And, and he has a moment where he stops. And again... Because you're not supposed to have figured this out yet. Ostensibly, it's supposed to be like, oh, man, can I really believe this girl? But you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my faith in her. Sarah, 
I believe you. <laughs> but really what's happening is he doesn't know what to fucking do right now. And he's like, all right, I'll play this cool. This is what I'm going to do. Sarah, I believe you. You know, that's yeah. what's kind of going through his head at that moment. He even asks, like, who else knows about uh -huh. this? She's like, nobody knows. It's such a secret. Never fucking go to somebody and tell them that nobody knows about something. Ever, ever, ever. Because that person you're confiding in is going to be the person who's responsible. <laughs> and they're going to try to kill you to silence it. I forget how she figures it out, but she discovers that it's him. So what happens is the mob comes, is they're going around looking for her still. They come to Solomon's house. Right. She hides in this side room where she finds a tiny little door that takes her into the caverns underground where she finds the witch's mark and a goat's head and the book. And she's like, oh, my God, it's Solomon Good. <laughs> Big reveal. Yes. And when she confronts him with this information. Because he shows up down there with her. He's just like, dude, it's just one person every couple of years. It's no big deal. And she's like, one person? Twelve children died. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, who cares? Look at how these people treat you. These people suck anyway. And she's just like, that doesn't mean that you kill people. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you're just like me. You're an outsider like I am. And she's just like, fuck that shit. I am nothing like you and stabs him. And so they get into this big fight where... He takes the knife that she had after that he gave her, by the way. Yeah, after they run through the tunnels for a while. Uh-huh. And he comes down and he stabs it right into her wrist. And then it comes out the side of, of the wrist. So her wrist is kind of hanging off. And at one point cuts the entire hand off. Yeah, I love during this struggle. He's like, please, Sarah, I love you. I don't want to hurt you. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, it's... Fucking gruesome when that wrist comes off. It is. It's it is very gruesome. Oh my god! Really cool. <laughs> and, but she ends up getting away, and she gets all the way up to the meeting house. Wait, how does she get to the meeting house? She climbs up. She has to kick her way through the floorboards, just like they have in all the other movies. Yes. Well, in '78, in particular, when Cindy kicks up through the grate and into the kitchen area of the mess hall. They do it in the mall, too. She's going to go down into that grate later on in this movie. Hmm. I don't know sure that they, they ever I'm find... Sure they, they did it in all three. I don't think they ever find the tunnels until we flash back to the 70s. Hmm. But anyway, so I thought that that was a pretty cool little connection there. But of course, she comes out missing a hand. Yeah, and... Of course, before she can say anything, do anything, not that it would matter, Solomon Good comes out and puts the blame on her. I found the witch! Yeah, and then she sacrifices herself so that they'll save Hannah. Yeah, she's like, it was me, Hannah, I possessed Hannah, I took over her mind and soul, so she's not at fault, which makes the pastor's widow feel really good. Oh, good, awesome. My daughter can be saved, you mm -hmm. know, basically. And Sarah's going to be the only one who hangs for this now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she does curse. She does give a curse, but it's, yes. to, it's to Solomon. Her curse is on Solomon. That not on Sonny. That will Vail. follow his bloodline forever. And so what it ends up being is once you've bled on her bones, which seems like... 
It's but a good she thing does that cause she wasn't you to buried bleed. very deep. But she does cause you to bleed. So it's not like you just have to happen to bleed on her bones. You have to bleed on her bones and then you'll get to see the story. But only once her body is complete will you see the complete story, which is why they only got snippets of it before. Yeah. And why Dina is now the one seeing it all because she's the one that reunited the hand with the body. Yes. Uh, the, what she says is the truth will come out. The truth will come out. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But someday for the rest of your life. The truth shall be your curse. It will follow you for eternity. I will shadow you forever. They don't explain how she suddenly has this ability to do curses. They really don't. That's a good point. But it, I think it's just supposed to be the fervor of like women, the, the, the intensity of her passion, you know, that kind of, I don't know, some sort of the world responds to that. You're right. You have they to don't extend your it. hand to the devil uh-huh. for his powers, yeah, she, which Chris, she never does. Which she did not do. Uh-huh. But she also causes how all that moss to grow. Yeah, uh-huh. But you can see how people might misconstrue this curse against Solomon as a curse against the people of Union, and specifically Shady Side, because that's you know they're they're connecting bad things happening to Shady Side to the curse that this witch did. So, but no, it's just Solomon and his bloodline, and it's about getting the truth out. So she is not summoning any of these killers. This has always been the good family line. As Dina says to Josh later, good is evil. Good is evil. Of course. Good is evil. The kids from Union take her body down or they dig her up or whatever and they bury her someplace else. And they leave that rock, which the Berman sisters find at the end of 78. The witch lives forever. Uh Uh-huh. And don't find the body. That's why. Because they moved her to the woods, but eventually there's a road that gets paved through the woods and now her body's right there. I really liked this whole sequence. I don't think I liked it very much the first time. I really liked it this time. I I thought the acting was really heightened here. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised- The music was really good too. Yeah, I'm surprised I did not like it before. I think it might just be because I was on such a high from the 71. Yeah, and we watched this one like immediately after. after. And it's it's not as good. It's a big tone change. It is. And I I wasn't prepared for that. They're also laying it on really thick with like, you know, the persecution of homosexuals. And this is all about, you know, people living their life and being free to be who they are and love who they love. And they, they, you know, it feels like they're laying it on a little thick. They're all accurate and true points to make. But I don't know. It felt like it was a little bit more heavy handed, I think, than the 78 one was. Watching it again, knowing all of that stuff, I could actually really enjoy what they were doing with the atmosphere and the dialogue and all of that. It was really good. Mm-hmm. I agree. I enjoyed it. This is an hour and six minutes later that we transition out of 1666, which, by the way, if she's seeing through Sarah's eyes, how does she know that these guys came by and moved the body? How does she see that? Who's seeing that right now? <laughs> it's just that it's the for the audience. Sarah's yeah, the moss. moss. Yeah, that's a good point. No, it's just another thing that's for the audience, and you can easily just wave away, whatever. 
we needed to fill in that little gap. So we did. Not a big deal. So we transition out of 1666, which doesn't get an entire movie. And then it goes back to 1994 and says part two. That's not confusing. <laughs> this is Fear Street part three, 1666, 1994 part two. Yeah, anyway. Agreed. It's a bummer because honestly, I'm not a big fan of the 1994 stuff in this movie. Not because of the plot. You know, we get a lot of resolution. We get a lot of closure here coming up. But because it spends so much time on like mall hijinks. You know, oh, this is the great confrontation. And it's just a lot of, I don't know, especially coming after the 1666 stuff. It's not as satisfying. Let's get them into cages. That didn't work. Let's get them to kill each other. Now they're back to life. Now Mm -hmm. let's do this. Yeah, it's just, it's kid idea after kid Uh idea. And I don't know. It's just not very interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. So Good shows up at Dina and Josh's place in the woods where they're at the body. They end up running from him him and stealing the car. But importantly... Dina tells Josh everything she saw and really, really succinctly sums up everything you need to know going into this final confrontation. I honestly think we could just put that right here and it explains everything. <laughs> I was back in time. I was Sarah Fear and Sarah Fear was innocent. She isn't turning people in Shadyside into killers. She wasn't a witch. Solomon Good. Who? Oh. Nick Good's pilgrim ancestor, he made a deal with the devil and then framed Sarah to cover his own Puritan acts. The Goods, they're trading us. People from Shadyside. Good gives a name to the devil. Ryan Torres. The devil takes over that person. What? Then that person kills and murders. And the devil feeds on this blood of dead Shadysiders. And Good gets whatever he wants. He becomes sheriff. His brother becomes mayor. All of Sunnyvale gets better and better. Shadyside doesn't. And the goods do it over and over, again and again. One good from every generation passing down the evil. Firstborn to firstborn, right to today. Abaddon. Right to Sheriff Nick Good. So, so Sarah fears. He framed her. She's the only one who's ever figured out the truth. Until us. And the killers came after us to keep us from uncovering it. Yes, to protect Good's deal with the devil. She does say firstborn to firstborn, though. That's what I was about to bring up. And Nick is the younger brother. I thought so. In the 70s. Will is the older brother. We know that because they're both counselors, and this is Nick's first year as a counselor in 78. So we know Nick is the younger brother, and I reasoned at the time that he was probably the more responsible one, the one more likely to follow in the father's footsteps, so he was probably also given this responsibility. But isn't this like this ceremonial thing that happens that passes from firstborn to firstborn? Wouldn't you be able to not really make that decision on your own? Unless you could argue maybe that because Nick is now the guy, Nick's the one that causes this whole thing to fall apart. Because he's not the firstborn? Maybe. Maybe, but that's kind of stretching it. It's kind of stretching it. But it's also never made sense to me why Nick's dad died at such a young age if they're supposed to have, like, the best luck in the world. Right, yeah. I always Uh thought that was weird. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, So they go to see Berman, Ziggy, 
and tell her everything, and she's devastated to find out that Nick's the one. She has her flashbacks. Who she's already called. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, she's like, oh shit, I called him because I thought he could help. She gets part of that flashback to that point that we mentioned in in the last time we covered this, where he says, you know, I let so many people die. And she's like, it's not your fault. And we comment, (laughs) yes, it is his fault, she realizes now. And then they go and they go to pick up Martin because they need help and they need to get into the mall and they don't know how. But Martin is a janitor at the mall. Uh, He's the guy who was in prison in the first movie that Josh made friends with. Yeah, the guy who got blamed for the graffiti, Mm -hmm. to which he said, you're right, these are my cans. These are my cans. And yeah, sure enough, they were. He's going to find out later that Good has red spray paint in his car. He's the one that's been going around town spray painting these curse messages to keep the story going that it's the curse and not a sunny veiler that's causing all of this. When they show up at Martin's house, he's getting high on his front porch, and then a cop car shows up because, again, they stole Nick's cop car, (laughs) and Mo Murda by Bone Thugs and Harmony is playing. Yes. So we get our first 94 musical cue. Right back into it. Uh Uh-huh. But he is, as he puts it, the mall's leading custodial engineer. (laughs) And he tells them everything they need to know. He gets them in. He tells them everything they need to know about the gates. And he's like, what's really going on here? And so they show him Sam. He finally realizes that this shit's really, really serious. And it's not just this confrontational relationship that he has with Nick Good. When Josh showed up and said, do you want to help us kill Sheriff Good? He, he meant, meant it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to cover Nick in Dina's the blood, blood of Dina. As, to get the killers to attack him. As Ziggy puts it, we'll carry him. Yes. So they'll draw paths into each of these different stores, locking them all the way individually around this center point, and then carry Nick, and then all these killers will then attack him and overwhelm him and kill him, and that's how they're going to kill him. But their first thing they got to do is they got to trap all the killers. Yes. Which they do by using her blood in a mop, like they mop it yeah, all over so the they floor do the path to, to get them stores. into the stores And then they're going to shut the gates on them, which if you remember from the first one, the B. Dalton one doesn't close correctly, but it really doesn't matter. They get it closed two seconds later. It's fine. uh I did write that down. I said uh, the gate sticks when specifically it's Ziggy trying to lock the Nightwing killer in the B. Dalton. Oh, and so there's we, that kind of relationship there. We missed that come out and play is playing through yeah, this so entire thing. A couple of references. Josh shares the Konami code with Dina as a sort of mantra to feel confident. Uh, he mentioned Super Contra, Castlevania, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles before he stops talking, which did all have the Konami code in it. Uh, Dina gives a motivational speech for the three people who are already on board with this plan. Yep. Josh, Martin, and A lot of motivational speeches. Uh-huh. And then we get the montage of them setting everything up to, like you say, come out and play, where they are literally going to keep the killers separated. You gotta keep them separated. <laughs> um, the cops end up showing up, and it's not Nick. It's Officer Kapinski and, like, his partner. Dude, if you remember, Officer Kapinski is 
the guy who says to Nick in 78, oh, you'll be my boss someday. And sure enough, he is. He's the one that Dina stole the gun from in the first movie. He ends up trying to stop them, but then getting killed by the milkman killer who also kills his partner. So now we got dead cops. They end up being successful and covering him in her blood, but he ends up grabbing Ziggy because the way yeah. that they distract him is by having Ziggy talk to him. Yeah. And then he like, just like his ancestor, decides to give up the woman he loves uh -huh. to save himself. Yep. These goods. It's parallelism. Man. That's all they do. <laughs> it rhymes. <laughs> it's like poetry. <laughs> but he ends up getting stabbed from behind, which is very exciting. Uh-huh. And he runs off in the commotion, and they're left to deal with all these killers that are now loose and going after Ziggy. So they end up squirting the blood onto each of the killers. And then we get a fun moment where all the killers just start fighting each other. It's a, it's dumb, but it's kind of fun. I guess. I, <laughs> but I but it's dumb because they're just going to come right back to life. Yes, but it but you get all these killers like you know how they talk about oh you know who would win in a fight and so that's how we got Freddy versus Jason but this is like all these sort of archetypical killers in a big fight together it's pretty awesome well except for not all of them because for whatever reason the kid doesn't get involved well the kid and Ruby Lane kind yeah, of show up late Ruby, Ruby shows up late but and the kid like when did the kid start taunting them you know yeah he just like, starts hitting a thing to make noise with the bat it's, it's like, like they didn't want to have to kill a kid I guess maybe but like I say Nick got away in all the commotion Josh is like Dina we got this go after him Dina chases after him and in all the commotion Sam is able to get out of her restraints and chases after Dina and so the three of them are all gone and they're going into the bowels of the mall until eventually she finds that grate again that we saw in 78 in the kitchen of the mess hall and now is in the back rooms of this mall and she follows Nick into the tunnel system yes they get into a fight. He's going to kill her. And then she puts his hand on the beating heart. And yes. that causes him, just like Alice in 78, to see all these murders and then see all the victims around everywhere until Sarah Fear shows up and then says, I told you I would shadow you or whatever, and then stabs him in the eye and then snap to, it's actually Dina killing Nick Good. It's great. And that and part that is moment, really well done. Because at that point, you just hate the good so oh, yeah, much. Oh, totally. At that moment, all the killers who had been resurrected turn into flies. They burst into the dust and flies. And Sam, who has never actually been killed, because she was killed before she was possessed and then was resurrected. And then she was possessed, but she was never killed as a possessed person, just gets free of her possession. And now she's fine. Everything worked out. Also, at the same time, all the names on the stones get wiped clean. And the witch's mark on the floor also disappears. Which sucks, because it means that there's no proof of any of this stuff. I'll bring that up in a second. Sam and Dina end up finding their way out through a secret passage in Nick's palatial estate. Yes. <laughs> and they see all this weird shit in the house including a family tree and some black candles and like a goat head model or whatever. They get outside and everyone's like looking at them. What the fuck? And then 
somebody, one of these people that's looking at them, just gets hit by a runaway, like, dump truck or something. Yes, because finally uh, they're not being protected by the devil anymore. Exactly, uh, which is cool. And then we get we cut to a new story telling the story of the, quote, Sunnyside serial killer. Not the Shadyville killer, but the Sunnyside killer. It's Shadyside and Sunnyvale. Sheriff Good is the killer. Oh, my God. It's a big scandal. I want to know how they proved fucking anything. They well, have I'm three sure dead more, cops. I'm sure he has more stuff in his house. That's my best guess. But all the names, all the markings were removed. I said at most there's a bunch of creepy shit in his house. So maybe. But while this news report is going and we see everyone kind of like recuperating from all of this, uh, Live Forever by Oasis is playing. <laughs> Maybe I don't really want to know how you got in gross. Cause I just want to fly lately. Uh, we also see Martin at the school parking lot uh, trying to hawk his new invention, which is like a portable cassette player or something, because he doesn't like Discman's because, you know, it only holds one album. And it skips if you breathe on it or whatever he says during that montage. And then we get What's-Her-Face, Queen such-and-such shows up. Of course, she's this adorable girl and really nerdy and really smart and confident. And for no fucking reason, signs his cast with her She said, look me up online or whatever. Yeah, but he's been talking to her this entire time. Mm -hmm. But he finally meets her in person here. She also suggests to Martin that what you really need is a solid-state drive. I'm sorry, solid state drives for one gig back in the early 90s was like 50 grand, just prohibitively expensive. (laughs) That's why even when the iPod was announced in 2001, it still used a spinning disk drive. Even in 2001, they weren't using solid uh, solid state drives for, for this. That's just my own little nerdy little moment. Solid state drives now are like if you buy a brand new top of the line computer, you're going to get a solid state drive, but usually they're not that big because they're really fucking expensive even now. But, you know, they needed her to seem knowledgeable and cool and, you know, invent the iPod before it existed. (laughs) When we see that Bigger They Are by Buddha and Bandit is playing. Then Sam and Dina eat cheeseburgers in the woods over Sarah Fear's grave, which mm-hmm. is a little weird. We get Gigantic by the Pixies mm-hmm. playing she over this one. She said we're going to listen to the Pixies. Uh-huh. Gigantic, 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 I can't believe you actually brought cheeseburgers. Uh-huh. And uh, then, you know, everything kind of wraps up with them being together. And we get credits intercut with this visual taking us back through the mall into the tunnels with Mr. Greaves also by the Pixies playing and then we're back at the chamber that's a crime scene now and the book is still there so maybe that has something to do with it and then some hands just snatch it away and then cut to black rest of the credits Mm -hmm. and that's the end of the Fear Street trilogy I will say I'm very worried that the other killers, especially the milkman, but a lot of the others that we don't get a lot of time with, are so mysterious and cool that they'll make whatever they make after this, which they are, 
Janiac has said they have ideas for what they're going to do next. No information. We don't know if it's going to be still in the same universe, if it's going to be a entirely isolated trilogy, or if it's even going to be a trilogy or what. But I'm really worried that these specific killers were so mysterious and cool that they'll make the sequels about them. My hope is that she'll do something totally different. Because we already know the context yeah. of how they were turned into killers. It was a good. And they're not really actually evil. Mm-hmm. And... You know, so, like, what's the mystery there? How could that be satisfying? Yeah, no, it's got to be something totally different. But those killers, I think, are really popular. So I hope that they practice some restraint. I will say that I tentatively trust them enough to be excited about what they do next with this franchise. Because I really, really enjoyed this franchise. Mm -hmm. I legitimately did. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything else to say about it? Yeah, the 1994 part seems to just be the weakest. It does, which is baffling because we really enjoyed it the first time we watched it. We scored it high, mm-hmm. you know, we liked it. But yeah, it's the worst of the three now, which is so funny. <laughs> what do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? What did the other two have? Part one had an 82 and part two had an 88. 90. 89, pretty close. Fear Street Part 3, 1666, sends the slasher series back in time for a trilogy-concluding installment that caps things off on a screaming high note. I will say, when we were recording our other episodes on this series, it had like a 92 or something like that. So it has gone down a little bit. I don't know what happened to the other movies, but at the time, they were 82 and 88. This one has an 89. What did I give the other two? We gave part one a 75 and 78, respectively. You were the 75. Part two, an 83 and 82. So you were the 83. Okay. So what would you give part three? An 80. I was going to say exactly that. This, for me, I think it's perfectly balanced in that way. I gave the first one, the worst one, a 78. And then this one, the second best, an 80. And then part two, what I think is the best, an 82. So it's like they're perfectly spaced out right around 80. So on average, this is an 80 series. Very good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. Yeah. And that is not only the conclusion of the Fear Street trilogy, but also the end of our second in a row, Witchy Woman episode. Yes. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is a kids' horror movie week. Which is something that I have requested that we do every October, at least. I want to make sure that we have some... Uh, I think there's a there's a YouTuber out there, uh, Dan Drambles, who does a wholesome Halloween in October. And so I think, you know, it would be a good idea to do, like, one of our October episodes just be dedicated to children's horror. And so that is next week. What are we watching for that, Kelsey? Two very good movies. Yes. Something Wicked This Way Comes. Mm-hmm. And Coraline. Yep. You were a little bit tentative on Something Wicked This Way Comes, Kelsey. Can you tell us why? I'm tentative about both because I, while I really like both movies, first of all, Something Wicked This Way Comes, I'm not a big Ray Bradbury fan. Yeah, but... For whatever reason, she does like certain things that he puts out, like this movie and the Halloween tree, mm-hmm. which is a Ray Bradbury story. Yes. And I've taught one Ray Bradbury story that I actually enjoyed, but I've taught a lot of Ray Bradbury that I do not like. And he is such a 
so many teachers love him and I'm not a fan, so it bothers me that I really like this movie, but I do. I've never read the book, though. I have no idea if I'd like the book. He's a Luddite. He hates television, which is weird. because he it. Yeah, because he makes all these things that get turned into movies and TV shows and yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really weird. But yeah, like he wrote Fahrenheit 451, which is all about the sanctity of which, the written word. Ninth grade teachers <laughs> do not make that summer reading. I don't understand why you would do that. What? Ninth grader wants to read that over the summer by themselves. I think I did summer reading once in my entire school, like assigned reading for the summer. That was never really a thing. I would read on my own, so that was never a problem. But anyways, despite what you may think about Ray Bradbury. I really like the movie. And then the problem with Coraline is actually the opposite problem, because I really loved the book. Uh Uh-huh. And then they made the movie. And... We're big Neil Gaiman fans, if you didn't already know. A lot of you do know. I think the movie is really pretty and very cool, but I just kind of felt like it turned it, it made it too kid-friendly, which is interesting because some kids think this movie's really scary. But in my opinion, I remember when I read it thinking, I'm a little too old for this because I was like 13 when I read it. Mm -hmm. But... I still remember thinking that the buttons, the way he described them and everything, they were really, really scary. And I just didn't think of them as very scary in this. So not only will we give you a sneak peek into next week by saying you should watch both of these movies, (laughs) but you should read Coraline. Yes. Yeah, totally. It's a kid's novel. It won't take you long. Uh Uh-huh. But that is next week. Until then, you can find us on our website, podcemetery.com. On Twitter, at Pod Cemetery, where we post a lot of extra stuff that doesn't go into the actual recorded episode. If you're screaming at whatever device you're using to listen to this episode because we forgot something or got something wrong, the best way to correct us is via Twitter. Easiest way to get a hold of us. And who knows, if you're following us on Twitter, you might see that we've already corrected it ourselves or provided the additional context that you wanted to talk about. So good idea to follow us there on Twitter. Subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. Bigger than that, sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? You have no reason to fear the dead. They sleep very soundly. You start wearing purple Why don't you start wearing purple Start wearing purple For me now
One thing we didn't mention is that you actually see a Fear Street in this movie, and it's F-I-E-R. And if they believed all these cursed things, why would they ever name a street after the switch? I mean, her entire bloodline ended there. It is a... um, It's an early Ben Affleck movie. Sam Rockwell is in it. Has French Stewart, if that tells you anything. Oh, it also has Gimli. Uh, What's his face? The guy who plays Gimli. And uh, what's her name from Who's the Boss is in it? I haven't seen that movie in four fucking ever, and I bet you it's terrible, but it has an awesome soundtrack. Just a lot of, you know, no effects, vandals, Mr. T experience. Just a great soundtrack. And yes, so they'll they're, they'll draw because he doesn't like Discman. He doesn't like Discman. Discman's lesbians yes. who have to be witches, right? Yes, that's got to be witchcraft. Got to be witchcraft. Absolutely. 